Hi guys, welcome to Better Words. I'm Michelle from the Unfinished Bookshelf and my co-host, Caitlin from Just a Bookish Babe, is not with me today because she is off adventuring in the USA with our friend Indy. I'm going to have a little update from them a bit later, but first I'm going to talk to you about what I've been watching lately. So in the last few weeks, I've watched all of season one of Victoria, which is beautiful. I love it. I can't believe we don't have season two on Netflix in Australia yet. And I really, really want that to be coming soon. It's such a lovely series. And if you loved The Crown or Downton Abbey, then you will definitely enjoy Victoria. One of the villain characters is a little bit like he's a little bit too much like a little cartoon villain with his evil moustache twirling and stuff like that. But apart from that, I was really impressed with this series generally, with the costumes, with the storylines, with the um, mix of like upstairs, downstairs intrigue going on. It was really, really great. And then Jack and I started watching Queer Eye. I don't know why I didn't watch it when it first came out. But anyway, now there are two seasons and I love it so much. I love Jonathan so much I love them all but I just I think that my life would be 10 million times better if I had Jonathan like by my side every day just like cheering me on like yes queen it'd just be so great so I'm trying to take on Jonathan's confidence and so is Jack we're both loving this um the only problem is that was going to be my show to watch when Jack's not at home but then he started watching it too and loved it so now we have to watch that together so good it always makes me feel so much better about myself makes me love my body which is probably like the perfect thing to be talking about considering the guest we have on this episode so we recorded this a few months ago and we have been waiting to share it we've been waiting for the right time to share it we absolutely loved chatting to our guest today as well as Queer Eye, I've also been reading lots and lots of stuff lately. I, I don't know, I've just gone through like a bit of a really productive reading phase. But at the same time, like I have all these ideas for things I want to blog about and I just have no motivation to actually write them. But I'm like really into reading right now, which is good and bad. So last week, our lovely friends from Nook and Burrow, Kate and Sim, they sent me one of their beautiful new book club boxes so this was perfect because it arrived just in time for my birthday and I was like oh so lovely it was it was really really kind of them to give it to us um but to be honest I had already I had to I had to check that Jack hadn't already like bought me one for my birthday because I had been heavily hinting that you know I would love this box basically the box is part of their new book club and the first one featured a like they feature brand new releases each month the first one was an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green now actually no I'll tell you about the rest of the box first before I talk about the book um it had a beautiful art print which I think may have been designed by Sim um and that said get lost in a book and it had a lovely custom wooden bookmark from Kate um, and um, a lovely little candle reading by the fire, which I haven't lit yet because I'm trying to go through like the dozens of candles that I have half burned around the house and really need to, to use them. Anyway, so the book, I started reading it the day that I got this package because I was like, I'm terrible with book clubs. I have a horrible track record of not finishing them in time. And I thought, you know, this is not going to be one of those times. I'm going to start the book. And I am going to damn well finish it before October 31st. Well, 
I finished it probably like three or four days later. Like I just raced through it and I cannot believe that I did. Like I never usually race through books like this, but I literally just could not stop reading. It was so addictive. And it's really hard to describe this book because it has a sci-fi element, which is one of the main plot points, but it doesn't feel like a sci-fi, which you'll know is probably what was appealing about it because I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi. I would describe it as like contemporary with a sci-fi twist. Um, It ruminates a lot about fame, about like especially like viral internet, like overnight fame that's unbelievable to imagine for most people. Um, It it talks a lot about us as humanity and, um, you know, whether we come together or split apart in, in crises um, and it's very character driven. April May is such a great character. Um, not always likable, which is exactly why I like her. Yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting book. I can't wait to discuss it in the Nook and Burrow group with everyone. Um, and if you've read it, let me know because I want to talk about it with someone. It's so good. And I'm just, I'm really surprised. I just, I literally, this was, this was not on my TBR. I would never have picked it up if it wasn't for this book club. Um, and, you know, even if I'd seen people raving about it, I probably still would have been like, mm, not for me, mostly because I've not read any John Green, which is, which is terrible on my part to admit that, but it, it that's probably what would have happened. So thank you, Nook and Burrow, Kate and Sim, for sending that to me and I absolutely adore their stuff um I love everything that they do as does Caitlin um Kate was one of the first guests we had on the podcast because we we genuinely love her and she's one of the people who's there are probably like five or six people who I will read any book they recommend because I know that our tastes are very similar and that is Kate for me. Um, we also have like crazy similar tastes in podcasts. So I, I just like really trust her opinion and I will read anything that they pick for the book club now because I just know that they're going to pick amazing stuff. So I'll put some links to the book club in. I know they're already busy working on the selection for November. And if you missed out this time, because it is a limited, like it's a pre-order thing um, with only a few limited extra Um, extra boxes Um, if you missed out this time make sure you sign up to their newsletter make sure you're following on social media because you do not want to miss out on November highly recommend it anyway that's enough of me babbling although I have actually got quite into the swing of this whole solo podcasting thing it's so weird to begin with Um, I'm gonna shut up now though and play a little snippet from Caitlin and Indy all the way from the USA. And then we're going to go into our fabulous, absolutely amazing Yas Queen guest, Michelle Elman. Hello, everybody. It's Caitlin here, live from New York. Well, not live. It depends when you listen. But live from New York sounds cool. <laughs> That's true. And it's Indy from Taps Life and Books and Indy's Embellished Books, if you know what that is. Yeah, and you should. You should look her up because she's very talented. Oh, thank you. So, yes, you're welcome. So we have been in New York for five full days now. Um, we leave tomorrow to go to Disneyland and Universal in Orlando, Woo-hoo. which we're very excited for. So it's time for our first wrap-up here um, for our first week in New York. Um, so first, 
Um, on our first day, we went and explored Central Park, which was so beautiful. It was such a nice sunny day. It was. It was, was our it? only sunny day. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's been a bit grey and cloudy and... Um, Light rain all day. It's yeah, very strange. It just like spits rain all day. It's very... Yeah, it is so odd. But yeah, we explored Central Park um, and went to the Met. We actually went to the Met two days in a row. Um, on the first day, we had a good look around um, at the Heavenly Bodies exhibit because it's um, closed now, I think. Yeah, closed today. Um, yeah, and then we also went back and had a guided tour, museum highlights. Um, yeah, it was an absolutely ma- massive place. Like, oh, my God. Crazy. I feel like we only saw a third of it. Probably. Like, it was so large. So large. Yeah, um, on our first night here, we saw Anastasia on Broadway, which was so good. It was beautiful. It was just like without the magical element, but I mean, I yes, guess I should have so, expected that. Yeah, so it was different from the movie. Um, I haven't actually looked this up, but I believe it's just more realistic. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the real Russian Romanov family was not tortured by a, um, <laughs> someone who was like dead in the underworld and had a little bat creature bat creature friend. Um, so, yeah, they basically just replaced it with, I want to say the military, some yeah. someone's military. I'd say so. Um, yeah, so very beautiful and, like, just the costumes, the set mm. was very rich and very, beautiful. Very awesome set. Yeah, um, which then was different, actually, to our other Broadway show we saw, which was Pretty Woman. Um, so Indy hadn't actually seen Pretty Woman. I made her watch it. So what did you think of the movie and musical? Well, they were very similar. There was a lot of lines I noticed from the movie because we did watch it so recently. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I loved it because even her costume was the same as the movie. It's pretty much throughout, I think. Yeah. Yeah, They obviously had the classic red dress. They even recreated the scene with the whole like snapping the jewelry box clothes, which was like a little awkward, but I appreciated it. I did, yeah. I mean, they were quite true to the movie, I think. I think the only thing that is noticeably different from the movie is the fact that they meet because he's looking for directions, but he cannot, like, he's not driving a car on the stage. True. But, like, that's so much harder to do, so I was, like, willing to overlook that. And I think the way they did it was very cute. Actually, one of my favorite transitions the whole time was when they first get to the hotel and they go on the elevator and they dimmed the rest of the back of the stage and they were standing out the front um, and there was like a bit of a light on them. And the guy was like the elevator guy and Edward and Vivian and they're just there and it's playing like little elevator music and then it like dings and they like walk out and around back and the set has just changed behind them. It was so really cool. Really cute, it was. Yeah. Um, we did last night go to Puffs, which was an off-Broadway, kind of a funny Harry Potter Like parody play. Yeah. yeah. So about- the full name I think is Puffs or like- Seven Increasingly Eventful Years at a Certain School of Magic and Magic. Magic and magics. I think it's magic and magic because it's not. Hogwarts is a school of witchcraft and wizardry. So it's a certain school of magic and magic, I think. Very fair. Yeah. So, oh, there were so many cute ways that they like didn't specifically say 
things about Harry yeah, Potter. Like even all the houses, it's like the Braves, the Smarts, the Snakes, and the Puffs. Yeah. And I think they only use Harry Potter's name or like they change it a little bit. I'm not sure if they I said... think they say Potter or Harry. Yeah. I and don't even know thing. if they ever said Harry Potter. No, I don't think they used anything else that was exactly yeah. the right wording. It was so cute. And they never call him like Dumbledore. They're like Headmaster yeah. and... There were so many wonderful jokes and, like, fan jokes. Yeah, Like, absolutely. about when they were going over the... Because they do each year in, like, a snapshot. And so when they were going over the fourth year, it was like, Harry, did you put your name in that in that fire thing? He's like, I'm very calm right now. <laughs> and it was just, like, everyone was laughing so much. It was fantastic. It was a cute little theatre as well. It was only probably... I don't Maybe know. 200 people max. Oh, not yeah. even that much. Oh, I don't probably. know how many people it would have seated, but it was very cute. And they had, um, yeah, they had yellow things everywhere because it was all Hufflepuff pride. It was awesome. Yeah, it was really It cool. was so great. We were like laughing our asses off. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. <laughs> so we obviously have, we also saw the Statue of Liberty and mm-hmm. went on a tour at Ellis Island. Yeah, it was a really in-depth tour, actually. It was really in-depth. It was. Um, we also went to the Empire State Building, the Museum of Natural History. Oh, and one of my other highlights <laughs> was we went on a TV and movie locations mm-hmm. tour. We went to the Friends Building and I definitely like freaked out and I made Indy take so yeah. many photos of me in front of Monica and uh, Rachel's building and like Ross's building and they even had a cafe under the building and then there's like a theatre around the corner where Joey has... Um, they mention it in the show. Joey has a play there. Oh my she God. was having a freak I w- out. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> my excitement came at the end of the tour when we went to McGee's Pub, which is where they based McLaren's from How I Met Your Mother. So that was like my like geek out yeah. freaking moment. There was there was some general ones that's like, oh, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's and like, oh, Saks Fifth Avenue has been in these movies. And yeah, a lot Columbus Circle is used in Central mm-hmm. Park and... You know, all of these things. And, like, the plaza and stuff like yeah. that. Another cool one we went to was the Ghostbusters oh, fire station. fire station. Hook and ladder. Eight, I eight? think. I think, was it? It was eight. Yeah. I think it was eight. Yeah, I think eight. it was eight. Although, honestly, I was more excited about the fact that our tour guide said Taylor Swift owns a New York apartment a block from there. And I was like, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Most of the rest of the stuff is, uh like, bookish-related things, which, of course, is probably what we should discuss. Yeah. So we did go to the Strand Bookshop, which is the 18 miles of books, which was huge. Oh, it was so overwhelming. I like. I think I was a bit tired at the end of the day and I was yeah. like, I, I want to enjoy this so much more than Very I am. Good. But it was still... It was still amazing. And we did have a really good look and we mm-hmm. both got a bag. And then we also went to Barnes and Noble um, somewhere around there during the day. But we went to the big like official kind of one. Do you think I it's think, official? I don't know. I think it's like there's a big four story Barnes and Noble at Union Square that we went into. Barnes and Noble on the outside. So I feel like it's some sort of like headquarters. I feel like it's quite official. Something I'm not sure about that. Today. So we went there this morning to buy My Squirrel Days by Ellie Kemper because the first, I don't know, was it 100 or something people to buy the book got admission to a book signing tonight. So you've probably seen this on our Instagrams already, but we went to a book signing and discussion with Ellie Kemper this mm-hmm. evening at Barnes & Noble. Um, her, hus- her husband interviewed her, which was very funny. They had great banter and she was... 
um, just really funny and giggly and bubbly she and exact, so exactly like you'd expect her to be, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, and then everyone hung around afterwards and we all got called up to get our books signed and have a little chat with her. I told Ellie Kemper that I'm scared of squirrels. Um, and that was cool. And Indy, what did you tell her? Well, I told her that my name, because my full name's Indiana, which I don't use very often, but obviously Kimmy Schmidt is set in, is it Devon's, what did you say it was? I think the fake town that she's from is Dernsville. Dernsville. In Indiana. Indiana. And then it's set in New York. So, um, so yeah, Indy, Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) She appreciated the correlation. So that was nice. Yeah. No, yes, she was very sweet, and it was really fun. I haven't, um, I haven't been to an event like that before. Me I don't either. want to compare it to Brisbane Writers Festival because it was quite different, and especially at, at a writers festival, if everyone's going everywhere to all these different mm-hmm. events. Like that one, you know, we got there in the morning, and there was a little line out the door. It yeah. was really, it was really cool. Yeah, so it was cool. We've had a fantastic time in New York. What do you think your favorite thing is that we've done, Indy? don't know probably just conquering the subway i feel like we have I know. mastered the I subway i feel like we've really mastered it like even a couple of times especially coming home yeah we, we just like we don't even get at google maps we're like we just, we just we're know. just going to get the six like we yeah. know exactly where we're going i feel really proud of us for mastering the yeah. subway i was actually really concerned about mm, that because i've been previously and it was confusing we didn't know what yeah. to do but i feel like this time it was so easy we're just like yep look forward to our next usa Indy and Caitlin catch up in a couple of weeks. This week, we are joined by someone who has helped thousands of women look at their bodies in a kinder light. She is an accredited body confidence coach who created the viral Scarred Not Scared hashtag in 2015 to increase diversity in representation of female bodies. She had 15 surgeries in 20 years, but will not be shamed into hiding her body. And she's taking her 140,000 plus followers along for the journey. She's spoken at TEDx in London and in July released a book, Am I Ugly? It is our pleasure to welcome Michelle Elman to Better Words. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It is our pleasure and thank you for um, bearing with us through some technical glitches. Oh, no worries, I think everyone. So, Michelle, can you give us an overview of your story, um, especially if people aren't familiar with the book, and I guess how you came to become such a force for body positivity online? Yeah, so uh, over the course of 20 years, I had 15 surgeries. Um, it started before the age of one, and my last major surgery was when I was 19. And through all of that, it caused so many emotional problems but one of the main things I worried about was the scars they left me I have a lot of scars across my stomach and I used to always worry about them and um well I guess most of my friends didn't have scars and so something I hid away kept a secret didn't want to talk about until one day I felt like I had to start talking about it because I want to start dating and I was like what so the first time I ever have a conversation about my scars will be with a person who I care most about, whose opinion I'll care most about. Um, That doesn't really make sense, and that's going to be so much more intimidating. So when I was 18, I started talking about it, and it kind of makes you realize how different your life is to everyone else's. But it also is quite challenging in itself to just have a conversation about the surgeries, let alone the scars. 
it built and built and eventually I became confident in talking about both my surgeries and my scars and I kind of accepted my body for the way it looked like and when I graduated with a degree in psychology I was like I just want to focus in on helping people with um, confidence so I got trained as a life coach and I worked as a general life coach for about six months and through that time in the back of my brain I was kind of like I want to start doing something around scars specifically and actually the idea came to me in Australia um, because I was in I, I was doing a month there and I was saying to my friends oh well like when you're a life coach everyone tells you you shouldn't be a life coach you should specialize because you can't work in all areas of life um, and so I was like I don't know what my specialty should be but I really like confidence but not just confidence body confidence and she said to me if you are going to be a body confidence coach like how are you going to do that if you never worn a bikini and I was like, oh, well, people with scars can't wear bikinis. And she, um, the next day, we were hanging out by the pool, and she came running back, and she was like, oh, there's a person at the other end of the pool with a scar you have to go see. And it was the tiniest appendicitis scar. But I was like, you know what? Yesterday I said people with scars can't wear bikinis, and that's literal proof that that's not true. So what's stopping me now? I'm not the same insecure person I was five years ago. Like, literally what is stopping me and I kept saying it was uh, I didn't want to make other people uncomfortable and I was like if I'm being honest with myself isn't that just some, like something I've been saying to protect myself from like mm -hmm. the fear of it um, and so I made a promise to myself that in six months I'd wear a bikini for the first time like that summer so I was in Australia in January and I was that's that following summer I was going to wear a bikini for the first time and I did, and that, that photo, that bikini photo, was the thing that launched Scar Not Scared. That is um, that's amazing. amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad Australia played a part. Um, <laughs> Honestly, it's like, like you spent your whole time in Australian swimsuits, so it was like yeah. perfect Well, see, place. I don't because I'm not comfortable with my body, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, yeah. And so I've not worn a bikini since I was like like 10 like, yes, or say, something. Like 12 or, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, but you know, my, my story focuses on a bikini, but I really don't care if people wear a bikini or not. Like mm. I care that you go to the beach. I care that you're part of the memories, that you're part of the events that you're invited to. Like being wearing a bikini was more the fact that I had such a mental block around a bikini and I mm -hmm. thought this like it, until I could wear a bikini I couldn't live my perfect life mm -hmm. I just kind of equated wearing a bikini with losing weight getting rid of my scars and I did like it was true I felt really liberated once I wore a bikini but it didn't mean I had to change my body in order to do so but the main thing around the bikini is that there are some people who, like, I don't care if you have to go in, like, shorts and shorts and a T-shirt. There are some people sitting at home and not going in a wool. And mm. that's what I think is worse, is that you're literally letting your life pass you by and we don't know how much time we all have. I've definitely been guilty of that because of the way that I looked and being uncomfortable with that. And that is why I love your book and reading your book. And that's why oh, we you. wanted to have you on the podcast as well. Cause I think it's something most women can relate to because I always, that's the other I mean, kind of funny thing. I mean, everyone's got something. I, well, I always thought like, oh, those people are so skinny. They must have like the perfect life. But then, you know, I read posts from people who are like, 
I hate being skinny. Everyone teases me for never eating, even though I do, and I can't help. And I, it's, it's made, it made me realize like, wow, like it's not, you know, we just project our own insecurities mm-hmm. and stuff onto other people, but everyone's going through something, some sort of body confidence issue exactly. and, and guys too as well, but mostly, mostly women. Mm-hmm. But I really, really connected with reading your story and I've, I've never had any surgery or anything. So if anyone's listening to this thinking, oh, well, that's not me, like I don't have scars or whatever. No, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely about more than that. And I found your story really fascinating and especially the bit that I guess kind of connect I connected with most was um when you're at university and talking about um being worried about what boys would think because that's definitely something that I was worried about when I started seeing my partner like I wouldn't do anything without all the lights off because I was really worried about um I, I mean, I, I guess I said I didn't have any surgeries, but I do have a lot of stretch marks and like really yeah. big ones all over my tummy. So I was always like, I can't let him see me like this. Like he won't like yeah. me. And it's, it's a bit sad that, and I, and I wrote this in a, um, in my Instagram picture for, for your book, but it's a bit sad that it took someone else like loving my curves and being like, oh, your butt looks great for me to be like, oh yeah, it does. Like mm. I don't have to hate myself all the time. And I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that it took someone else and that I, I wasn't Able kinder to, to myself. Yeah. yeah. No, don't see it as that way. Because sometimes <laughs> it takes someone else seeing your beauty in order for you to realize it as well. There was a guy I was dating when I was 21 and I remember genuinely thinking that I was training as a life coach at this point. If, and it wasn't really about my body, but it was more about the way he looked at me and the way he he thought I was the, literally the most amazing person in the world. And I remember thinking, if I could think how he thought about me, about myself, my life would literally be perfect. And we yeah. all have these insecurities and we kind of think our insecurities are special. It's like, oh, well, like... For me, it was my scars. It was like, oh, no one can understand me having a scar. Actually, a hundred million people every year get a scar. I'm not special. Like, there's <laughs> other people who are like, oh, no, but how about like, but I have this and there's not a single other person in the world who has this. And like, it's just not literally true. any problem mm. you have, there is someone in the world, like there are probably hundreds of people in the world worrying about the same thing, whether it's stretch marks or cellulite or whatever it is. It tends to be very similar things that people worry about when it comes to their bodies, especially when it comes to the bedroom. Like their stomach hanging out, people don't like to wobble. Like all these things, they're very common themes because it's it's all around what isn't accepted as beautiful in the media. And mm-hmm. what is not considered the beauty ideal. So before we talk about that a little bit more, can you tell us a little bit more about Scarred Not Scared? Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming when you posted the first photo, you weren't expecting all this to come from from that. No, so the idea with Scarred Not Scared was that I, was, I wasn't sure. I, well, it started as the gold to wear bikini. And then I was like, but I feel like that's not, enough like I want to do something to help people and then it was just like one day I was coaching one of my clients and I casually mentioned that I'd had some surgeries and she was like why is this not on your website and I was like well why would my website be about me like it's my coaching business page like I 
why would I have a like paragraph about me? Like I has my qualifications, it has my like university degree. And she was like, because it really helps knowing that you actually understand what it's like to have gone through something. Um, so I was like, oh, that's true. But I kind of don't want to cloud up my business page with like me. And I thought it was like really arrogant to talk about me because it's like, well, coaching is about you and like same yeah. like therapy it's like it's about you um so I was like well I'd do it as something separate which is why the idea of the campaign started because I was like if I do it as like a social media campaign I can compete keep it separate from my business um and like my coaching uh it didn't really work that way <laughs> because <laughs> it blew up so much bigger than um I could have ever expected and if back then you had told me that I'd be still doing this four years later and that the social media side of it is actually bigger than the coaching side of it, I wouldn't have believed you. And I also probably would have been like, no, I don't want that. When actually now I'm like, there's something so different with body confidence compared to any other area of coaching where it's so comforting to know that you're not alone in your problem, Mm -hmm. which is why sometimes coaching via social media like through my posts or whatever or public speaking is actually so much better than individual coaching because I can tell a client over and over again you're not alone you're not alone you're not alone but until they're sitting in a room with a hundred other people asking questions they wanted to ask themselves it doesn't resonate to the same level yeah that's totally true I mean when you you know, like you said, when you're in another room and you walk in and it's like, okay, I'm not alone. Or they see on social media and what people write in the comments or anything like that, you know, I mean, that's one of the amazing things about social media is it allows people to connect and, you know, learn about each other in all these new different ways. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, I've done a few of those posts recently where I'm like, I, I, been saying that the last few months have been a bit tough online and I've been really honest about it and I was like if you're going through a tough time just comment below and I get more comments than I've ever got before where like I have like 300 comments telling me like intricate details about their life and I'm like I I put in my stories like if you feel alone just go scroll through my comment section you'll see that you're not the only one going through a rubbish time right now because like Mm. everyone seems to be going through quite a tough summer Mm. Yeah, no, it's a tough summer everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's not even summer here. <laughs> um, so I'm really interested to learn more about your work as a body confidence coach. So what yeah, does that you actually already involve? Said that, you already said that you were training as a life coach and then went into specialising. Um, yeah. So how did that really come about, I guess? And, yeah, what do you do as a body confidence coach? So with coaching it's slightly different to, like, therapy or psychology um traditional psychology or talking therapy where when you specialize it's not so much that you do further training it's the fact that you choose to specialize in a type of client um so you only work with a a type of problem um and so all the clients i would get are just body confidence problems um and the main way i work with it is the fact that whatever body confidence problem you have it's just a physical manifestation of an emotional problem Mm -hmm. so like one of the main examples i use is like uh if someone comes in thinking they're really tall and they're like oh i'm too tall i'm not beautiful because i'm too tall like i with one person i actually had this conversation and um 
I was like, okay, well, tell you, tell me about the rest of your life. And she started talking about her job, and she was like, oh, I feel like I stand out the whole time. And I was like, with coaching, it's really, um, we're really big on the language you use. And I was like, isn't it funny that you're insecure about being tall, but the word you use to stand out, like, what do you think being tall does? Like, being tall makes you inherently stand out. If you got okay with standing out in general, whether it's in your job or your height, do you think you would worry about your height anymore? And she was like, oh, I've never put two and two together. Um, and it's kind of that kind of thing where it's like, it's not the height that's the problem. Especially with height, you can't actually even change that. So it's more the association with it, and it's also what, being tall causes us a problem in your life and so like if you don't want to stand out if you're the kind of person who like hates standing out of course being tall especially as a woman is the worst thing to be because like no matter what room you walk in you're tall so it's that kind of thing where it's like it's not your body that's actually the problem if that makes sense yeah yeah it it really does I don't want to say like, well, you know, there can be problems with your body. Like that sounds so awful, but you know, sometimes there are physical changes that can be made. Um, Sometimes there aren't. And really it's just, you know, accepting them and, and being confident. But I mean, everyone struggles with that. But I mean, even the like physical changes that can be made, like, yes, I could probably get rid of my scars somehow, but through surgery. So isn't it ironic? I would, and at 10 years old, I really wanted to. But I would go through the pain that I went through in order to get these scars and go through the recovery process again and put myself, like, not just money, but time, energy, effort. Mm-hmm. Like, to have another surgery, to remove surgery scars. Like, I mm. found that now, in hindsight, the most ironic <laughs> thing that, like, I hated my body so much, I would put myself through that voluntarily. Like, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, that is pretty ironic, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, What are some of the most common complaints? You mentioned that, um, obviously, issues in the bedroom are a, a big deal for a lot of women. But do you hear, like, negative comments from women about their bodies as well? And what would be the most common areas where women are really down on themselves? I think... Honestly, the bedroom is huge because it's like when you're most vulnerable and it's Mm -hmm. like so many women aren't even comfortable naked, let alone naked with someone who they really care about. And it's you at your most vulnerable. And it's also the point and place where someone could hurt you the most. If someone said something to you whilst you're in the bedroom, like at your most vulnerable, that's something that will stay with you for the rest of your life. So it's something Mm -hmm. that people worry about in terms of that. Um, And also, like, I think just intimacy in general is something that, as a society, we've become less and less good at being intimate with each other. Um, And so in the bedroom, it's, like, enhanced even more. But in terms of body parts, it tends to be this... You know what? It's really reflected in the media. When the the media hone in on... um, what like cellulite for example the amount of clients I get for cellulite is so much more um so like now it's like this year there's not been much conversation around cellulite there's been a lot of conversation around hip dips which for ages I was like what the hell are hip dips yeah what even is it even I think I've heard of it It's, it's when your hip suddenly drops like there's it will go in slightly um and like every like woman has it. that, 
like what? from your hip to your leg mm. sometimes like your hip will suddenly like drop inwards um and but this is where <laughs> i'm like i just it doesn't matter what body part because it's it's genuinely i really believe in society creating imperfections in order for them to be, like sell us solutions to fix the problems they just created like yes. last year no one would know what hip dip meant so they created a problem and now they're like oh here's some hip dip cream or mm. here are some workouts to improve your hip dips no I mean, one was talking about hip dips a year ago that's, um, that's insane i don't even like the thigh gap thing though. i'm not even sure what that is yeah. or like why i should be insecure about it <laughs> exactly but like the same with the thigh gap thing the thigh gap was concept that someone created even cellulite you wouldn't believe me but in the 1970s Vogue put cellulite on their front cover um, saying that it was this medical problem that needed fixing within the next year there were cellulite reduction creams before that mm. year that no one was insecure about their cellulite it was just accepted as part of the normal human body which it, it is because 90% of women yeah, have cellulite oh my gosh that's yeah. insane except everyone on Love Island seemingly which I've been watching a lot of lately oh <laughs> it's just ridiculous oh yeah but also like it's, when you watch things like Love Island it sends the message that like if you're thin you don't have cellulite yeah and that's just not true it's no. not cellulite is not a weight problem no like People like this medicalization of a very normal human trait or like a very normal thing for your body to have um, is part of the problem because it's like, oh, well, you're going to die if you have cellulite because you have so much fat on your body. No, if anyone has any fat on their body, they will have cellulite because that's what cellulite is. They're fat cells and your body needs fat cells. Exactly. Like Everyone has them. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it is this funny thing of like now when I tell people that fact about cellulite they're like no that can't be true and I'm like it is true like mm -hmm. there was literally like less than 50 years ago no one worried about cellulite but now it's just accepted as an insecurity it's accepted as an like a uh, flaw or an imperfection it's not an imperfection it's part of a normal human body I yeah. know well I mean it's there are so many examples of like, you know, the changing trends in like body types and things like that. Because I mean, even 10 years ago when the Kardashians weren't a thing, you know, mm. no one wanted a, like, booty. a big booty yeah. or, yeah. you know, thick thighs or like, I don't even know what, but. But this is why I'm not an advocate for changing your body because mm. let's say you change your body in order to get the, what the beauty ideal right now is like big bums big boobs but like fit body so you have yes, muscles, a tiny waist but not too fit like even if you matched all of that which is next to impossible for one body to hold as mm. in one person you're either muscly or you're not you're like you can't it's very hard to have muscle and to selectively choose where you hold your fat yes exactly <laughs> if only also, we could like, all do that yeah. please <laughs> But also when people like create these workouts to be like, this is where, how you can lose weight in your waist. That's not how it works. When you lose weight, you don't selectively lose weight in one area of your body. That is exactly 100% um, true. And that's why my boobs are so small now because I lost weight and it just all came off my boobs. Exactly. It comes <laughs> off your boobs first. Everyone knows this. <laughs> but yeah, but it's so, they, it's so they funny. They sell you the idea that it's your fault. You didn't work out properly and it's yeah. not your fault. It's just how the body works. It's how the human but it's body thing works. Like, even if we changed our body to match the beauty ideal via surgery, via weight loss, via whatever it is, 
who's to say that in two years it doesn't completely change to another beauty ideal and you have to start all over again also <laughs> the funny thing that I tell people is that like eventually you're not going to be in the beauty ideal anyway because you're going to be considered too old to be beautiful exactly like, with women like there's a cutoff date with how beautiful like you once you reach a certain age you're not beautiful whereas like with men they could be beautiful like like the whole silver fox thing mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. they age with grace or like whatever and it's with it's women like, you only oh, say that if they practically him. don't age oh. yeah yeah so the best thing to do is to change Ignore your everyone. well yes but <laughs> yeah. to change your mindset and to to love your body yes. regardless mm -hmm. um and don't make the love for your body conditional on what you look like because you like it's this it's just a recite like it's a cycle of you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough and that can be about your body but that could be about anything in your life and your body is just another way to well I think self-abuse yourself mm -hmm. I actually really like that I think the the thing that I just thought of when you were saying that is about um you know I hear you hear this a lot with mothers after they've given birth about like you know think about what your body has just done, you know, like this yeah. is, it's, it, you know, because people do get really caught up in like the after baby body and sort of thing like that. But I mean, we're not mothers, but like, <laughs> yeah, um, the thinking about like what your body can actually do for you. I mean, you know, like most people's can take them places and, you know, strong and help you do things. And like your brain is in your body. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I guess, <laughs> Um, especially Michelle, in your case, where you've been through so many life-saving surgeries and stuff like that, like your body has gone through a lot to keep you here. Mm -hmm. Um, did that come into your thinking as well when, when you were thinking about the way it looked? Yeah. So when I was younger, it was more the fact that I was like, I hate my body. My body is out to get me. It it's stopping me from going to parties. It's stopping me from going to school. It's stopping mm -hmm. me from being with my friends. It like, it basically felt like, uh, one of those road signs, like in like blocking me, I could see my life and just this road sign right in front of me, being like, "Stop! You're not allowed to move anywhere." And like, I hate, I hated my body for that. Um, but as I got older, I was just like, actually, like the chances of anyone surviving what I've been through is mm. next to none. Let alone surviving all I've been through with the ability I still have today. Like the fact that I'm still able to walk, the fact that I'm still able to like do pretty much any sport. I'm slightly limited in my like shoulders, but apart from that, like I can do anything anyone else was like would want to do. Um, and so it definitely was a turning point, but I must say it only came after I accepted my scars for what they looked like and I accepted my past. So actually what I learned, like when I was saying that um, insecurities tend to be an um, emotion, a physical manifestation of an emotional problem, with my scars what I realised was it's more the fact that I was so uncomfortable talking about my surgeries and once I became okay with talking about my surgeries, both to people I was dating but also my friends, my scars just instantly like weren't a problem anymore because there was nothing. It was more the fact that my scars were literally physical reminders of the fact that I have of my most traumatic memory, but also that like I couldn't get away from a conversation I didn't want to have. So like, especially in the bedroom where like, this is the conversation I would like is the conversation I never ever wanted to have. And like, 
my scars provoked that conversation. So obviously the scars were what were the problem in my head. But actually it wasn't the scars at all. It was the fact that I didn't want to have this conversation. It's also interesting. And I just <laughs> yeah. like feel like I hate the media and hate everyone for telling us that we're not beautiful. Trust me. <laughs> I, like some of the time when I do my speeches and like my 90 minute talks, if you give me 90 minutes to go on about this, <laughs> by the end I sound like I'm the biggest conspir- conspiracy theorist. And I'm like, trust me, all the media's... <laughs> but also I mean that's this is the great thing about social media because someone like yourself is now an influencer to so many people and yes I guess not as many as mainstream media but there are so many more women over 140,000 who yeah. are now able to see this alternative real perspective on life and that's that's such a brilliant thing because mm-hmm. you know 20 years ago that wouldn't have been possible and like as much as I'm not like at a celebrity level or whatever but who would have thought someone with a body like mine could have that bigger following mm-hmm. like the media like to paint the image that that like my body is not the kind of body people want to see clearly it is <laughs> if I have like like a hundred thousand could also could be seen as small if you compare it to celebrity, but it's also huge. It's like also, if you compare people. that to like in person, like that roughly is like a small country somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like so this idea that the media like have pushed for years and years and years that we only want to see a certain body type, people like to look at beautiful people, people like to look at like the ideal. Once we had social media, all we did was prove that wrong. Mm-hmm. And that anybody, any person with um, with something to say can grow on social media. Like, it's not about what they look like. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? That's those 140,000 people or whatever, that's like almost double the amount of people who live in our town. So <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> then, you know, this all this following, all your training, how did that then come to writing your book? So I actually started writing my book when I was 12 years old. Um, wow. <laughs> it was a school, pro- it was like an, in English class. They were like, so we're going to do a school project and do an autobiography. Um, you oh, need to write a thousand awesome. words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. And I think it's just so nice that everyone in my class now has like this keepsake of when they were 12 years old. But so they said it as a thousand words. I was like, there's no way I can summarize. By that point, I'd had 13 surgeries. So I was like, I can't summarize that in a thousand words. Mm-hmm. I ended up submitting it at 10,000 words. Wow. When you and were 12. I showed, yeah. Oh well, I, like, I just started writing and then it kept going. Um, and then I ended up showing it to my parents. And my dad was like, you need to publish this. And I was like, are you crazy? I didn't even get an A. Like, if I can't even get an A, why would a publisher want to? Well, you probably it? didn't so get an A because you were over the word limit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I- yeah, probably. <laughs> but, that. Um, but I, um, he, he was like, genuinely, there isn't a book published from a 12 year old's perspective about hospital and that would help so many people um but I was really insecure about my writing and I was like no like I'm awful at English English is my worst subject I can't write to save my life um like I was like no 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 and then it was when I went into hospital when I was 19 and I was like 
I just like I kept thinking about dying and this is gonna sound really morbid but like it was my 15th surgery and it was so between the ages of 11 and 19 I had no surgery so when I went into hospital when I was 19 it was a huge shock to the system and it shouldn't have been because like me having more surgeries was probably inevitable Mm -hmm. and the fact that I lasted eight years was lucky but I was like I basically, two months before, this is so silly, two months before I got a tattoo because I was like, it's been eight years, I'm fine, I'm healthy, I'm normal, I can talk about my scars, I can talk about my surgeries, my life is great, like I have the best friends in the world. So I got a tattoo to be like, that's the end of that health journey. Like, it's not happening again. Literally two months later, (laughs) I ended up back in hospital. Um, and when they told me I needed another surgery, I just said, like, no, 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 like, I got a tattoo, like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. And they were like, oh, that's not how it works. Um, and so I was just like, I was stuck in bed for six weeks. Um, I was stuck in hospital for six weeks. And I kept thinking about the fact that, like, if I died right now, I'm 19 years old, and all I've ever done is study. Like, that's Mm. what my life is going to, like, equate to, is I went from primary school to secondary school to university. I didn't even take a gap year. I've not even traveled the world. I've done nothing with my life. So I became really obsessed with this idea of leaving something on this earth if I were to leave it. And, like, this legacy, I think, was the word I kept saying. was like, I was like, I just need my life to mean more than just education and like especially with education there's always like an end goal it's like you train to be a psychologist you train to do something Mm -hmm. and I'm like I won't have even got to that end goal (laughs) so like I was like you know what I'm gonna dig out that book and start working on it and so when I got back to university I started working on the book again but again I'm still insecure about my writing and I was like I'm still like I would get back psychology essays being like you need to work on your English and I would like get really annoyed and be like I'm not doing an English degree like leave me alone (laughs) Um, and so I like it was two years of just writing 2,000 words deleting 2,000 words and this went on for literally two years until um, I started my business and I was like okay I'm just gonna make a rule to not delete anything and in between meetings I would get on the tube or like the underground I'm not sure what you call it in your country (laughs) but like yeah and every time I got on I got out the notes section on my phone and just started typing and I was like pick an event in your life like a moment in my life an age of my life and just start writing and it would be like in 20 minute um, breaks and I found that so much easier because I wasn't staring at an empty page and every Mm. anytime I got on the tube I had an event in my life I had in my head so I was like oh let's write about that time I wore a bikini for the first time when I was 10 years old let's talk about the first time I wore my bikini like a bikini like when I was 21 let's talk about that hospital um, experience whatever it is um and at the end of six months I copied and pasted it and it was 200,000 words and I was like oh I gosh. think I have a book <laughs> oh like how did I do this in the notes section of my phone thank god I never lost that phone because like if I did it would have been all gone oh my god oh my goodness that is And I started from there and I started editing it down and it took about like two years and it was uh, two years of like getting it like it was down to 100,000, down to 75,000, then editing it, then trying to find an agent, then finding a different agent, um, then like finally finding a publisher. Like all together it was three years of just like that process. So to have it out is not just like a relief, but it's actually really unreal like I can't believe I did it I'm not like the most like 
I'm kind of that person who gives up at things. So <laughs> the fact that I like, the fact that I pushed through for three years, I'm like, wow, I can actually do something if I commit my mind to it. So, <laughs> it's well, really nice that it's out. <laughs> congratulations, because it is a really great book. And, and that you. might be one of the funniest writing a book yeah. stories we've had on this I love podcast it. so far. <laughs> it is, it's unique, that's for sure. <laughs> What's funny is that the, the school project, my dad actually, in trying to convince me to publish it, actually got went to uh, like printers and had it like made as a hardback. Aww. So I have like five copies of this book, but it's so funny now because on my bookshelf it sits next to like the my actual book. book, which I think is quite like, <laughs> circular and nice that's so sweet I love that that is I can't believe your dad got your book like published basically like he got it bound and everything for yeah, you to try and convince you to bound and printed that's so cute that, I just can't I get over that. that story wow oh my gosh um so when you were writing and stuff, obviously, uh, I'm just fascinated that you did it in the notes section on your phone. I think that is so awesome. And also, anyone who says they don't have time to write, you yeah, prove them that's wrong. Totally wrong. Yeah. Um, but how did you approach writing about other people? Because there are points in the story, um, a few, I will say yeah. characters in particular, um, yeah. where they don't come across well. The last three months what has been so hard is those people and it's not because they've come back into my life it's not because they sent me a message but it's because it became real that like Mm -hmm. these people are gonna read these words um what how I first did it so how I did it on the tube was literally put them out of my mind because if I thought about them once while writing it um I wouldn't have written anything. Anytime I thought about anyone, like for example, like I talk about sex in the book. If I had started thinking about my parents while I was writing that, like I wouldn't have written a word. (laughs) So like I literally had to forget about everyone and just write. And then when it came to editing it, every single person who was mentioned, I was like, if they read this section in the book, how would they feel? And I really focused on the fact of telling my story and not their story. Mm-hmm. So there are, with a lot of these characters, there's a lot of context behind why they acted the way they acted, which would actually make them more human. But I didn't feel comfortable including it because it's not my story. So whether it's like, it's basically like family circumstances that like they had a tough childhood or something like that. Like, yeah. But I yeah. was like, that's not my story. And like, the annoying thing was the decision between, but it makes them more human. It doesn't make them this like awful, evil person. But at the same time, it's not my story. So how can I tell it without like including their history and their like, but I was like, yeah. their history is what would be their memoir, not mine. Like, and so that's kind of where I got to. And there are a few things that give me solace (laughs) one that everything I've written in the book is true and I've actually like verified a lot of the events so for example the first chapter Mm. where I'm being dragged across the carpet um I I I was like surely I can't like when I wrote it I was like surely like this is like this even sounds exaggerated it sounds (laughs) like I'm writing a fiction book and so I said to my friends like it's going to be really strange, but like, I know it was 10 years ago, but does anyone remember this? And I was at this birthday party. We were all having dinner together. It was a table of 12 people, all people from school. And 
literally every single person on that table remembered it. Um, and they all like had different details to it. So there's a detail in the book where um, I say like, I may non like, um, I can't remember how my friend said it, but she said something like, I didn't sound like a human, like I sounded like an animal. Um, and it was from that dinner party where she said that to me, where I was like, really? And she was like, it was piercing. Your screams were like piercing. It was like genuine human suffering. Like you could wow. hear it through the walls. Um, and it was the moments like that, which was like really reassuring, not just for the book, but like on a personal level that like, you hadn't made it up in your mind I hadn't made it up but also I say through the book that no one none of my friends spoke to me about my surgery so to even if I was doing it 10 years later the fact that these girls remembered it like Mm. it was such a like healing process for me and I think that's where um that's one of the things that gives me solace and the other thing is that when I was like going through a lot of this someone told me a quote by Annie Lamott which says that if you didn't want, like, it says something like, if you didn't want to write me to write about you badly, then you shouldn't have behaved badly, um, and <laughs> that you have to be okay with the actions that happened. And I think one of the largest uh, conversations that I had around this with my friends was, like, a lot of my friends thought I was holding, especially the girls, like the girls who I talk about negatively in my school. They're like, you're holding them to a 13 year old version of themselves, like they're not that person anymore. And I was like, I'm not saying they are but I have to tell the story from my 11-year-old's perspective. I have Mm -hmm. to tell the story from my 13-year-old perspective. Now, like, I don't hold any resentment towards anyone. Like, I don't have a grudge against anyone. No, it's just what happened. And I will say that, like, when the month before publication, all I thought about was who's going to contact me, who's going to come out of the woodwork, and, like, (laughs) be like, oh, I heard you wrote a book and I read my chapter about me, like like from exes to ex-teachers to ex-friends like everyone I thought about everyone in that book over and over again oh god that Mm. sounds like a bit of an emotional roller coaster Mm. also I think the worst one was uh Miss Naylor Miss Naylor comment when I announced that I was writing a book in Mm. November last year Miss Naylor which is not her real name uh commented underneath said saying um so excited can't wait to read it I'm like pre-ordering right now and I was just like I didn't even know you followed me on Facebook (laughs) Um, so for anyone who hasn't read the book um I guess she's 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 in the book a lot um yeah for yeah for for good and bad reasons but also she's like she she but she she was a complex person she was Mm. a big part of my schooling she was for people who haven't read the book she was my housemistress she was essentially the equivalent to my mother but as with like if you actually grew up with your like because I was in boarding school if you Mm. actually grew up with your mother there are times when you absolutely hated her and she didn't do the right thing she wasn't the perfect parent and there are times when you're like oh my god you saved my life she saved my AS level she saved my like literally I wouldn't have been able to go to university if it wasn't for her and it's what I like about her as a character is that you can be both she was probably the cause of a lot of my body insecurities but at the same time she met she was the only reason I managed to get decent AS levels and go to university like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do anything I'd be doing today if I hadn't achieved those grades um and so people are nuanced people are 
aren't just good or bad. Exactly. They, they're many things. And I yeah, think that's I, kind of, it's kind of nice that she was like your mother figure. Um, and I think it's kind of, most people would actually get their body insecurities from their mums. So I think that's yeah. probably fitting that, um, that yeah. was the cause of a lot of things. Cause that's how we grow up watching our mums, you know, and the, the language that they use around their bodies kind of forms yeah. how we start to see our own bodies before we even are conscious of that. Definitely. And the thing that also like kind of breaks my heart around my book and other, the people who are mentioned in it, reading it is that they probably won't remember these events. Like they, like, I don't think Miss Naylor will remember shouting at me, Michelle, stop eating down a corridor because it wasn't significant to her. Like it was just one of her, her one of her tirades, which she would go on like a couple months a year. Like, and it's not a significant memory to her. So like with a lot of people, they'll be like, I don't remember saying that to you. And I've had a few messages from people. Um, the girl who, uh, the girl who was the first person to ever make a comment on my scar, uh, saying my scar on my chest looked like a nipple. Um, I spoke to her about it and she was like, I don't remember saying that, but like, I believe that I said it. And I was <laughs> like, but you, why would you remember saying that? It was like, you making one comment in a changing room when you were 12 years old. Like, why would you remember that? Like, it was no significance to you, but it did, like, mean something to me. And it's not to say, like, she's a bad person because she's not. It's yeah. the fact that, like, you're 12 years old. You just say things. Mm. Like, everyone just says things. Like, I'm not – I don't have any investment in my readers hating any of these characters. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, this is just the fact of what happened. But I think that complexity really comes across too because I definitely had conflicting feelings about people and, you know, I would feel one <laughs> yeah. way and then something would happen like with your A-stars and stuff and I'd be like, oh, well, she's actually quite nice. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was very complex to read. But um, I'm interested, was there an emotional impact on you in, in writing it and reliving, um, I guess, some of the most traumatic times in your life? Yeah, in the back of my book, in the acknowledgements, I thank my best friend for coming. Like, I say something like, thank you so much for putting all the nights where you came home to me crying. <laughs> because <laughs> when I edited this book, she was just like, she'd come home from work and I'd be editing the book and just sobbing through it. Um, and she'd be like, she'd walk in and be like, whoa, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine, just need to keep writing. <laughs> and just like with something, and like there was something, um, another author said to me where it was like, it's good, tears in the author means tears in the reader. <laughs> and it seems to have come true because every message, like the main thing I'm saying at the moment is I'm so sorry for making you cry. I'm so sorry, because apparently this my book makes people cry quite a lot. <laughs> um, but it, it was the going through those memories actually for the first time made me realize I talk about later in the book how I go to therapy and I don't realize how like I won't accept that I've been through a trauma because I don't think I've been through a lot mm -hmm. there is nothing like writing a book than realizing how much you've been through and kind of because I'd always been insecure when you're insecure you tend to be really hard on yourself you hate yourself so you're hard on yourself and you're just genuinely quite unkind to yourself so it was the first time writing about an 11-year-old, and now being 24, um, 25 on Monday. Oh, <laughs> like, <happy birthday. laughs> thank you. You're like, an, can you imagine seeing an 11-year-old going through this? And it's the first time I had sympathy or like empathy for the younger version of myself. And I think that's the large reason why I was crying mm -hmm. was that like, 
I can't believe that I was in that hospital bed being so mean to myself about my scars, about like not being strong enough for crying or yelling at a psychologist or whatever it was. Mm. When actually, like, if I saw an 11 year old today, I would realize how young 11 year olds, 11 years old is. Yeah. And like to have gone through all of that, like, it was the first time I realized, like, I can't believe I didn't think what I went through was a trauma. Because, mm. like, like that, even just on a very basic level, to an 11-year-old, that's terrifying. Like, mm. how I could have survived any of it, I don't know. Maybe it was the drugs. But, like, <laughs> that was the large realization around it, was that I'd spent my whole life being just so mean to myself that I didn't even have the context of what I went through at that age and that's the other thing that happened when I was writing it was that I was like when you're living it you don't realize the age you're at you also think you're older than you are Mm. Um, but lining up the experiences to what age I actually was when I experienced that experience put it in a completely different light yeah wow (laughs) I mean a lot of reflection and stuff on that I mean most people have that with you know plenty of normal regular everyday things in their life about you know oh god yeah I was only 11 like yeah to have gone through all of that when you were so young and you don't realize because of course every 11 year old thinks that they're so grown up <laughs> yeah you know like, basically an adult uh, the worst thing that happened to me when I was 11 was I got my period like that's the worst thing that happened to me as an 11 year old I can't imagine well, Being I was very lucky. I had to wait till 13. So <laughs> you got, I got two more years. <laughs> I was so, I felt horrible about it though. Cause I was like the only one that I knew. And I was like, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But you see, insecure. I was like, this is what I mean by you can create an excuse around anything. Mm-hmm. Cause I was considered late. So I was like, when I got mine, I was like, thank God I'm not a freak. Cause I thought exactly. like, I was the, like, it was never gonna I genuinely started worrying I wasn't gonna get a period because I was like am I the last one am I just like does my body not work again like is this something new that's gonna go wrong yeah <laughs> yeah you literally you can make anything exactly. an, something an, insecurity. That, an insecurity um if someone's really struggling with their body um and and with their the way that they look are there a few simple tips you've got to help people kind of refocus and start to really love their body Yeah, so I think that I'm really big advocate of you can't love your body if you don't know what it looks like. And I think the majority of humans don't know what their body looks like. They don't Mm -hmm. look at their body naked. And I'm like, you can't get comfortable with your body if with someone else, if you're not okay with your body yourself. And so like, I really believe in like, taking time to be kind to your body we always pull and tug at our body we're always like quite rough with our bodies and so like turning something like moisturizing your body into something like just slow take five minutes over it rather than like the way I used to do it was just like slap it on and go yeah and just like hope it dries fast enough to put your jeans on (laughs) (laughs) but like actually take five minutes and like like almost massage your body like like slowly like just touch your body gently and like the way the reason why I say with moisturizer is because like it's a part of your routine anyway so it makes it easy it's things that you don't actively have to remember um with brushing your teeth for example I um tell people to brush their teeth naked it's one of the first exercises I do as a life like I uh, tell my clients as a life coach um, is 
brush your teeth naked because it's two minutes what will happen is you'll start getting negative thoughts usually if you're insecure that's the first thing that will happen is like you will point out all the bodies in all the parts in the mirror which you absolutely hate it's like oh my boobs are so saggy oh like look at my bingo wings all these things but you're brushing your teeth so focus on brushing your teeth as soon as the negative thought comes in just go back like focus on the brushing of your teeth like and so it's this it's like it works really nicely because well, number one you won't forget it number two it's two minutes anyone can do anything for two minutes number three you're doing something else anyway so it's a productive use of time anyway and number four if your inner critic gets too mean you've got another task to focus on um and it's just a slow way of getting accustomed to your appearance the other thing is to start challenging like anything that you're insecure with because like anything you're insecure with uh, involves fear so whether it's I, I was making a youtube video yesterday about eating in public because i've had a lot of questions about that like a lot of people don't like eating in public or e eating in front of a date the only way to get through it is to do it um and you can start small start with a friend or whatever it is but you can do the same with like clothes if you're like oh i can't wear shorts just wear shorts around the house then like, just get used to wearing shorts around the house. And the goal with uh, wearing clothes that scare you is to wear it until you forget that you're wearing it. Like, mm. you shouldn't be conscious of the clothes you're wearing, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, and there will reach a point, like, if you were wearing jeans, you wouldn't be consciously thinking about the fact you're wearing jeans. So there will reach a point when you're wearing shorts, for example, where you're not thinking about your thighs. And once you're at that point in your house, then maybe go to the supermarket. Like, it's about baby steps and building it. And also, removing one word from your vocabulary and using another, removing never, because this idea that, like, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to be confident. I'm Like, who says that? And, like, who, like you can't say that for sure. Um, and you start using the word yet so it's i'm not confident yet like mm -hmm. rather than i'm never going to be confident and it's funny because i do the same thing um i was actually editing a youtube video that i made two years ago to move it into igtv um and in it it's a video about it's called how to love your scar and in it i was i i said I'm never going to get to the point where I can talk about my scars without getting emotional. Um, but, and I don't have all the answers, but I, and I'm never going to have all the answers, but like, this is the best video I can make right now. Like, and I'm watching it two years later and I'm like, I'm never going to like be able to talk about my scars without getting emotional. Like what? <laughs> I can. It, and even in the video, I say, even if I made this video in two years time, I'm never going to have any other. <laughs> and I can talk about my scars without getting emotional like why did I say the word never I didn't know that like you can't confirm that so mm. it, and it's it's not a thing I use is it's not a convenient belief so a lot of people do like what's true and what's not true like it's true that I'm ugly it's not true that I'm beautiful actually all beliefs are opinions like there's no true or false so what I do is what's convenient is it convenient for me to believe I'm beautiful or is it convenient for me to leave, believe I'm ugly like it's not convenient for my life to believe I'm ugly it doesn't help me whatsoever so I'm going to choose the convenient belief that's amazing thank you so much I think <laughs> I love all of those tips. yeah I love it. I've loved this chat and I really hope that our listeners find um, a lot of value in this too and go out and read your book which is called Am I Ugly? If you missed that at the start it is wonderful and 
I, I just can't recommend it enough. Um, and we've really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been lovely talking to you both. <laughs> Where can people find you online? So I'm scarred, not scared on Instagram. Um, I also have another page called Body Positive Memes. And uh, YouTube is Michelle Elman. Facebook is Michelle Elman. Uh, Twitter, I've got Scarred Not Scared and Body Positive Memes again. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of on any every platform. So yeah. it's either my name or it's Scarred Not Scared. And yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. Caitlin, where can people find us? At Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Better Words Podcast is our website, which you can find links to our newsletter, Patreon, show notes, everything on there. <laughs> 